Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I wanted to not reuse an idea, but expand on an idea. When I was doing a podcast a couple weeks ago with Underdogs Josh Norris, I asked him a question about what he would want to know right now if he could know something about the 2023 NFL season. Well, thought it was a cool idea. Josh, this should have been the whole podcast. Today, it is going to be the whole podcast, but it's not going to be with Josh Norris. It's going to be with a friend of mine who I think thinks about the league in a very interesting and big picture way, and that is the athletics Robert Mays. Mays, did I, I, I do do we feel like we're on the same page here with this idea? I think so. I mean maybe the ones I'm gonna throw out are not exactly what you were thinking about, but I think we're generally on the same page. This was the classic thing where I said I'd give you five, and then when ten minutes before we started recording, I was like, I have eight. Yes. Yeah. Not surprising. And to be clear, like I guess you could be like, oh, who's go- I want to know who's going to win the Super Bowl. That's not a good question. Like we want to find out things that are going to inform what we're actually watching for this year. If those are one of your eight, you can take that one off the list. That is not one of my eight, so we're safe yeah. there. Okay. Um, we want to learn really about you know things that are up in the air, and that might help us preview this upcoming season as we approach. Uh, the start of the NFL very shortly. Uh, next week, I believe, is when football is starting, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? It seems soon. It does seem soon. It does seem like we should have the stuff figured out. Um, but we will preview maybe one last final NFL season preview by asking some questions that we would like to know the answers to before the season begins. So, as you said you have eight. I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to let you hit them all. Give me one to start. I think the first one's probably pretty obvious and is very self-serving. Just does Justin Fields take a mini version of the Josh Allen Jalen Hurts sleep? Mm, this is all for me. This is just for my personal are, mental. Are health. they all Bears questions? No, there's only one Bears question. But I, there obviously, if I had like a set of wishes from a genie, I would use them for more important things than football. But if they had to be football related, and instantly right now, I could take a pill. And I would know if Justin Fields did this or not. I would do it immediately just to give me peace of mind. I would love to know either way, either way, one way or the other. I would just love to know and not have to go through this entire season with this uncertainty hanging over me and the Chicago Bears franchise. Are you concerned at all about the offensive line injuries to Tevin Jenkins? Of course I am. This is not a good note on which to start. We did the NFC North today on uh, the athletic mm-hmm. football show. And this offseason was specifically designed from Ryan Poles and the moves that they made. I think to make sure that you left no excuses for Justin Fields. You wanted to put mm-hmm. enough around him to ensure that you could get a proper evaluation of him in year two of this offense. And already they're taking bricks out of the foundation of that plan. Tevin Jenkins is hurt. So not only is your left guard hurt, but you're moving your center to left guard. And then mm-hmm. potentially getting worse at two positions. Nate Davis, the right guard that they signed in free agency to a pretty sizable contract, has barely practiced in training camp. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. <laughs> There's not a lot of clarity as to why. It, when he was asked the first time he was at the podium if he was injured, he's like, ah, I'm not going to talk about that. Oh, I was like, okay. He's like, you can ask the trainers why I wasn't practicing. So that's great. And then Darnell Wright, who is a rookie even in the best case scenario, he's also dinged up at right tackle. 
So mm-hmm. now this plan of we're going to ensure that the supporting cast around Justin Fields leaves no doubt about what sort of evaluation we get about him by the end of the season. You're already hindering that plan before the season even gets started. And it's making me very concerned. So let's throw out some content that is going to immediately be uh, past its its expiration date as we record this on Tuesday. I believe this podcast comes out Thursday morning right now. Jonathan Taylor has not been traded. Would you like the Bears to trade for Jonathan Taylor? No. No, really? That surprises me. I The reason that I wouldn't is because I don't want them to dip into the draft capital that they have next year just in case they need the ammunition to move up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Panthers are somehow better than we expect the Panthers to be, and they're picking 15th. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case, but just in this hypothetical. And let's say the Bears are solid but not great they have the 11th pick in the draft is that enough to get you to number two if you don't feel good about justin fields with the uncertainty at the quarterback spot and next year being the potential year to go get one i'm not in the business of trading away draft capital in 2024 to go get a running back i just don't think Mm -hmm. that's smart i don't really blame you but if you're maximizing justin fields which clearly everything this offseason has been about building the best team around justin fields as much as people like Kill Herbert, I did have people tell me on on Twitter that the Bears don't need to trade for him because we have Roshan Johnson, who is a fourth round pick who has not played a single NFL down, and yet people were saying he's uh, equal to Jonathan Taylor after you account for contracts, which optimistic, I think I would say from Bears fans. Um, you know, I, I just think the, the the phrase you used is important here. The phrase was uh, "leave no excuses." Like if you have the opportunity to get just to get Justin Turner to get Jonathan Taylor, kind of seems like not doing that might leave you an excuse. That's too much. I think that it's all relative and it's all based on what you're spending to leave no excuses. Trading the also, equivalent potentially of a first round pick for jo- Jonathan Taylor, I don't think that makes enough of a marked difference from the running backs you do have to change the evaluation. I'm not saying that Roshan Johnston is Jonathan Taylor, but I think the combination of Khalil Herbert, Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson is enough at running back for you to get an honest opinion of what your quarterback is by the end of the season. Also, just going to point out, Jonathan Taylor makes the next guy better too. It's not like he ceases to be useful if you don't get what you want out of Justin Fields. But that's my concern is that if you trade away draft capital for Jonathan Taylor, do you have enough to go get the next guy? Sure. I I wouldn't be throwing a wrench into that plan if I were Brian Poles at this stage. It just feels like you're trying to serve two suitors at the same time. Like you're trying to max out Justin Fields, but also leave your options open, which, hey, if you're the Eagles and Jalen Hurts goes supernova, great, you pulled it off, but I just think that's a hard thing to balance. The Eagles had Kenny Gainwell and Miles Sanders mm-hmm. and, and Boston Scott at running back last year. <laughs> the Bears have enough at running back, I think, to get an honest evaluation of their quarterback. That's my okay. opinion. So let's say, hmm, let, let, let's play season comp. Let's say Justin Fields has Daniel Jones's 2022. That's my worst case scenario. That's your worst case scenario. Why? Because that is not a definitive answer either way. The reason some Giants fans, buddy, (laughs) I think they think it's a definitive answer. The reason that the Giants then committed to Daniel Jones in the way that they did is because they were picking. What was what pick did they have? 18, 19. Yeah. So that's part of the reason that they made the decision to commit to Daniel Jones. If the Bears are picking 18th, they also have the Panthers pick. So there's you could potentially get up to where you need to to draft a quarterback. 
part of the conclusion that the Giants came to, I, I firmly believe this, is that they just didn't have avenues to a better option. And that makes sense. He was good enough to win with. He has the 13th highest quarterback AAV in the league. The quarterback market is becoming a little bit more efficient in that regard where it's not just all or nothing. And they know they can win with him. And the line that was said to me from someone there was, you can't win in the league without one. And we know that we can win with him. But that thinking and that rationalization, I think, is partly a product of avenues to a different option. And I think the Bears will have avenues to a different option because of the draft picks that the Giants did not have this offseason. At other positions, I would agree with you. At quarterback, I don't like like I, I you franchise Daniel Jones if you're like, well, kind of stuck. Like we don't have any good I, options. Listen, like I am you don't not- give him three guaranteed years to get that done. I am not justifying the the Giants' choices. I'm saying that was their <laughs> line of thinking. And the Bears don't have to do that. The Bears don't have no. to franchise Justin Fields. They can no. decline his fifth-year option. There are a bunch of different options. He's under contract for next year. I think this is a matter of whether you move on or not. And I think if you get the Daniel Jones from 2022 season, it's going to make that decision really difficult. And that middle ground is what I'm really scared of. Okay, so what is the... What is the performance like, like? Like, what is the caliber of play that makes you feel good enough to move forward with Justin Fields, either year to year or on a more significant extension? Like, is there a player comp? Is there a season you want to compare him to? Like, it's is a great, it's a great trade? question. It's a great question. I, I honestly, I don't even need like the 2020 version of Josh Allen, like the. Uh, somewhere between the 2019 and 2020 steps forward for Josh Allen, mm-hmm. I think would be okay. And I also think it's there's no good one-for-one one comparison because the elements that Justin Fields needs to improve in, we haven't seen a quarterback this bad in some of those areas. Mm-hmm. I said on our show today, his sack rate that he had last season for players Wild. with at least 200 dropbacks, it's the third worst since 2002. The only two guys with a higher sack rate during that stretch were David Carr as a rookie, that very famous 2002 Texans team and Andrew Walter in 2006. That's it. So there's not a good comparison because we just haven't seen these types of lows in certain areas for quarterbacks who've substantially improved before. And that's its own issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy who came to mind for me was Rob Johnston, who was pre 2002 to be fair in terms of his sack rate. He had a 14.8% sack rate. Like, imagine being in a mobile quarterback and still getting sacked nearly 15% of the time. Imagine being a mobile quarterback and still getting sacked 15% of the time. It's <laughs> fair. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to your next one. So this is, I have kind of two for the Chargers. You can go either way with this. Oh, boy. The Chargers either finish in the top quarter of the league, so top eight, in adjusted games lost, <laughs> and or average air yards per attempt. So the Chargers either open up their offense substantially or they mm-hmm. stay healthy or both. I would love to know the answers on a couple of these. Yeah, I, I would just love to know which Chargers get hurt and for how long. Like, like, that, that's like, probably fair. That's probably fair. Me, so let's, show, let's do, show me the, let's the, do the, the 10 best Chargers. Games lost. Let, okay. let, that's a good one. So what? how many collective games do the eight best Chargers miss? So Justin Herbert, Rashawn Slater, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Derwin James, J.C. Jackson. Let's go with those guys. How many collective well, games did, did those guys I, miss? I think you didn't mention Justin Herbert on that. I did. He was mistake. the first name I said. He, he was, was the first, first one? Okay. Yes. So yes. you have eight. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's the big one, right? Like, 
you know, this is the thing we talk about every year with the Chargers. They have incredible top-end talent, and every year they have a player who suffers a minor injury in August or September, and we hear he's going to be fine, and then he's gone for four months, or he's gone for the entire season. Or they have a player who tears an Achilles in week two. Like, like there's never a let's get everyone healthy and play well season. What, what do you think? Let's say of those eight guys, let's say the Chargers get basically full seasons from seven of them. What do you think they're better than the Chiefs? It's hard to say because if you're devastated by injuries outside of those eight guys, then it doesn't really matter. But we're not, so that, we're not that's not what I asked you. I said we we're talking about those eight guys. Do you think they're better than the Chiefs if they have seven of those eight guys healthy for the entire season? Not necessarily. Because that okay. still leaves four fifths of the offensive line and three quarters of the secondary. Sure. So if you're just completely destroyed outside of that, then I don't think they're better than the Chiefs, which brings me back to my original question. If they finish as one of the eight healthiest teams in the league overall, what do you think the Chargers ceiling is? 13 wins, 14 wins, 13 wins, right? I think that I think 13 and four is probably where I would. uh, That's aggressive, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. I mean, they're in a tough division, even if they are healthy. It'll still be tough, most likely, given what's around them. Um, we don't know anything else You think else it is a tough division? Do you think the Broncos are going to be good? Dude, you... Gosh. I, I I think I've gone on like eight TV shows in the past week and said the Broncos are going to be a playoff-caliber team. So uh, he, he, that's, what's, that's where I'm at a week before the season starts. I, I don't think um, that's I do think it'll be tough. I mean, I can understand that point. I think the defense is going to be good. The defense has talent on it. You're talking yourself into Sean they, Payton, which I, I don't blame you. For they doing. were second in the NFL in EPA per play before the final five weeks of the year. When they I know, but I also think Joe Evero is very good at his job. Oh, so sure. J- just swapping out the coordinator and keeping the talent, I don't think it that's hurts. necessarily a direct path to being a top five defense again, even if I think Vance Joseph is fine. And I also think their plan on defense, I don't know how much you've read about it. Uh, Nick Cosmeyer at The Athletic uh, mm-hmm. did a story about it a couple weeks ago how Vance is kind of adopting a lot of the language and ideas that they used last year rather than hope so. his defensive system. And I, I actually think Vance Joseph is a really good, smart coach. I think that he has a decent amount of humility when it comes to this kind of stuff. He's not attached to one version of playing. And they're, so the two guys that they carried over from that staff last year, Christian Parker is their secondary coach and their defensive mm-hmm. line coach. Christian Parker is a very impressive young coach. He was in his third, he's in his third year as the Broncos DBs coach. I think he'll be a coordinator eventually. So guys like that still being in the building and them trying to carry some of that over with the talent. I'm actually pretty bullish on what that unit can look like. And then if you're betting on Sean Payton, why can't that be a nine and eight frisky team throughout the entire season? Um, Our old friend, Chris Brown has a lot of thoughts about Vance Joseph and uh, playing spot drop zone, playing uh, country zone, right? What is it called? Country uh, well, yeah, they, 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 they a lot of, there was a lot of uh, zone blitzing last year. And so they sure. played a lot of spot drop zone behind all those fire zones. I, I don't think that's necessarily how he wants to play. Mm-hmm. I think that was partially a product of the players who were on the Cardinals defense last year. That's fair. That's fair. The Cardinals defense, not exactly full of legends, but they did bring over uh, Zach Allen. who's really good. But we're talking about the Broncos. This is supposed to be a Chargers conversation, by the way. That's so, nice. yes, I, I, I do. Hallways. I do think the AFC West will be good this year. I think that would be a problem for the Chargers. But, I mean, I think we're all optimistic about what Kellen Moore is going to do to make this offense a little bit better. Getting Rashawn Slater back is a big difference maker. I mean, on paper, this is one of the best rosters in all of football. Can they actually turn that into a successful season? 
we'd have to wait and see if those eight guys are healthy. It's just healthy in general. I think if they finish in the top quarter of the league and, and just overall injuries, that they will be a easily a double digit win team. I, I truly believe that because because I think the quarterback is really really good. Oh sure, I mean no question. But are are, are we at all nervous about Brandon Staley and the defense actually being great at any point? Yes. Like is there? Yes, I am worried. <laughs> It, it, just, it just feels like we were like, okay, they got all these pieces last year. And granted, they did not have Joey Bosa for most of the year. They lost JC Jackson to a serious injury. But like that defense was not much better in 2022 than it was in 2021. No. And they didn't really add many pieces to it. The front is the same as it was. And I know that Austin Johnson and some of their defensive line depth got hurt last year and mm-hmm. they're trying to piece it together. But that's it's the same group as it was last season. Really, the only difference is swapping Eric Kendricks in for Drew Tranquil. That's what they've done. And, and, and getting then, Bosa and Jackson hopefully back for most of, of the season. Of course, but that's the run defense is what I'm most concerned about. Yeah, And I don't think that has the biggest impact on your run defense. The pass defense was a top five-ish unit for the second half of last season. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't stop anybody on the ground, and they haven't really done much personnel-wise to change that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now we are sitting here with a team that is, you know, I, you hope they find some guys. Uh, I hope find some backups who are helpful. They're going to have to rely on those guys at some point, but (sighs) just been burned too many times, Maze. I just can't, I I can't do it to myself again. I have trouble doing it to myself again, too. I described it on my show as like a borderline abusive relationship that I have with (laughs) with the Chargers. It's not healthy. Okay. So do you want to give a number for Chargers for, or or some kind of, of, of performance for Chargers if, if they are top eight in adjusted games lost? I think that they're probably like an 11 or 12 win team if they're a top eight okay. in adjusting games lost. I, I have my questions about the ceiling on the defense, and I have my mm-hmm. questions about how quickly things will look good with Kellen Moore. But th- mm-hmm. this is a bet on the quarterback. If there's enough health around the quarterback, I think that he is a an elite player. Mm-hmm. He's just a step down from the that second tier of quarterbacks with Allen, Burrow. And I think Herbert is, is there isn't he, with the right supporting cast. Isn't he a tier one quarterback in Max Sandoz quarterback rankings? Yes. So, I mean, he's in that tier. Yeah, I think Mahomes is in a tier all his own. But okay. I think that the slight step down from there, I think that Herbert is absolutely a part of that club. And it, I, we just don't really talk enough about, or I don't think people do, what he was in 2021. The guy threw 38 touchdowns and threw mm-hmm. for 5,000 yards. He was 23 years old. <laughs> and last year, he played a third of the season with cracked ribs. Yes. And he didn't have an all-pro left tackle for most of it. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen were on the field for 175 dropbacks. Like, I'm not saying he's the best player in the league, but I'm saying that he's really, really good. And when healthy and having enough pieces, good enough to keep your team afloat as one of the best offenses in the league. I mean, he has that kind of upside, clearly. Like he could. I, I don't think anybody would be shocked if he won MVP in the way that even someone like Trevor Lawrence, like if Trevor Lawrence won MVP, I don't, I don't think I would be shocked. I don't think you would be shocked, but I think there is a subset of people who would be shocked. I don't think that is the case for, for Justin Herbert. I think everyone sees what he's capable of. I don't, think, so. I, I don't think that's right. I think that you you're, don't think so. I think you're hanging in too close of internet football circles. I think the general public is very much on the, what has he done train with Justin Herbert? Trust me. I, I hear it a lot. I, I, I have not left the house in, in many months. So that might be, might be why. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no 
competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, give me your third question so this you want one to know is, the answer to. This one spans a bunch of different teams, but I, I want to okay. know which quarterback is going gonna, gonna to be way better than any of us expect because it always happens. There's always one or two every year that are just better than we anticipate. I think last so who, year, Gino was probably the answer to that. Oh, for sure. That's a great one. Gino and Daniel Jones are a great place to start because it, I remember this is kind of a fantasy related thing, but last year when I was trying, you know, you'd always try to reverse engineer like who is going to be this year's blank. And mm-hmm. last year, if you think about where Tyler Lockett and even DK Metcalf were going in fantasy drafts, I mean, they're going as like wide receiver 25 and 35 because uncertainty around the quarterback. And I think mm-hmm. that's a way to gain value at times. If you can figure out which quarterback is going to be way better and their receivers are just being artificially depressed, that's a thing you can pounce on. So that's it kind of leads to this curiosity of which guy is that this year? And I have like four or five different candidates. Oh, you can't you have to narrow it down from five. That's not fair. Well, it's it's which guy? Which of these guys is going to be better than we expect? Okay. okay. And I think all of these are reasonable. Jordan Love being number one. Like sure. is Jordan Love just going to be way better than we expect him to be? Kenny Pickett. Is yeah. Kenny Pickett going to be a top half of the league quarterback? Sam Howell. Is Sam Howell just going to be way better than we expect him to be? And two guys that I think aren't necessarily in that same category, but are adjacent to it. What if Daniel Jones takes a step similar to the one that Jalen Hurts took last year, where would you kind of take him out of this hyper condensed offense where it's very run heavy and you actually open things up? Does he take another step forward? And then the last one, this is kind of weird to say, but I think it kind of applies here. What if Russell Wilson is a top half of the league quarterback again with that defense that we talked about with the Broncos? So I think you all of those an, guys, like which one is way better than we expect among that group? You left an obvious one out there to me when I was sure you were going to mention. What if Deshaun Watson? Is... Oh, I didn't want to talk about that. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to. I mean, I'm yeah, not told about it either. Yeah, that that's that one definitely applies. That one definitely applies, but I, I was going to save that one. Oh, sure. That's fine. Um, no, I, I think those are all fair, but which one, like everyone's better like, of course, the Giants are a much better team if Daniel Jones turns into Jalen Hurts 2020. She was just thinking about it. Just thinking about how bad my mentions would be um, makes me a little scared. Which one would surprise you the most? To me, it'd be Howell. Yeah, it's it's Howell. I mean, just based on pedigree and expectations, all of that. It, it's definitely Howell. The question I was going to ask is, which one is the most meaningful? That's what I was going to ask, but then I switched to surprising because they're all meaningful in one way well, or what, another. To the to the broader landscape of the league, which one is the most meaningful? Do you think? I I think Jordan Love would be the most meaningful because if the Packers have a good Jordan Love, I think they're the favorites to win the NFC North. 
Yeah, that's probably fair. I think that the best team on the other side of this conversation is the Steelers with a good version of Kenny Pickett because of the rest of what they have. But the AFC North and the AFC are so good that it might not have as big a impact on like the grander landscape of the league. Oh, did you, mention, did you mention Mac Jones in that? Group? I did not mention. I did not mention Mac Jones. That were that's also, another one. Did you also where, not want to talk about Mac Jones? No, Mac Jones is fine. I, I think Mac Jones is probably in this conversation. I feel like the supporting cast in New England depresses the ceiling of that Patriots offense in a way that some of these others are not. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I mean, are you excited about the Patriots receivers? <laughs> Relative to what they had the last couple of years, I kind of am. Like, Mike, Mike Kosicki looks Mike Kosicki looks real nice when you're comparing him to Inkeel Harry. I guess so, but is Juju Smith-Schuster better than Jacoby Myers? The free agent market would tell you no. Yeah, I mean that's not necessarily wrong. He's been injured more often, but I don't know. If we should be taking the Raiders' player valuation as like gospel for uh, what makes sense for NFL teams. I mean, I guess I so. Know. I don't. I don't I, think there was a robust market for Juju either. That's true. We're, we're, this, this is this is unrelated to the, your point. I, I think I agree with you about Pickett, but I, you know, I've been also criticizing the Steelers. I think they're likely to decline this year. There's more holes in this roster than I think people are are making it out to be right now. Okay, which way? Where do you think that's true? I think cornerback is a major major concern on so many Pittsburgh teams. Steelers. I would agree with you, but they've done such a good job of understanding how to hide those guys. And well, they better. Joey, I think Joey Porter Jr. is kind of an interesting pivot point for this season in general. If he's in a, a good player as a rookie, I think this defense could be scary good. Scary good. Scary good. Yeah. Their, their front, in my opinion, is, I think, probably the best front in the league. Really? Okay. Eh, it's, in the, it's in the top three. Like them, Dallas, and the Jets. I think is the group that I would put in there in terms of quality think, and depth. You don't think the Niners, the Jets, it's the, de- it's, it's the depth, the, the Jets. I said the Cowboys and the Jets, I, the Niners do not have the depth that the Steelers, the Cowboys and the Jets do. Wow. They I don't. was not expecting you to say that, that, that is, I, I think that's a very optimistic view. I, you know, they, they obviously have the top end talent, but TJ Watt, we hope he's going to be healthier this year. I assume if healthy he is healthier. obviously a caveat there. Right, right. But if if TJ Watt is not healthy, Cam Hayward's 34. Larry Ogunjobi is already coming off of a foot injury. He's already not 100%. The inside linebackers, you know, it's the latest rotation of veterans from other teams because they can't. I didn't say front seven. I said us. front four. Okay. So front four. So you're saying Ogunjobi, Hayward, TJ Watt, Alex Tysmith? And the backups. And the backups. Al- so the, Keanu, Keanu Benton, yeah. Marcus Golden, Nate Herbig. I mean, the guys that the amount that they've put into that, and I think the again, the high end talent plus the depth of just the front four, I think is very, very good. Can I ask a dumb question? I feel like I should know the answer to this. They have two Herbigs. And I they I, have two I Herbigs. Are they related? They are brothers. They have to be. I would Nick I, and if Nate. Nate and Nick. What are the odds? I, I think I thought they were one person until uh a couple weeks ago. They they play two different positions, but yes, they play on other sides as well. But Nate Herbig, Nick Herbig is a rookie. Yes, so I I I'm only learning about him now. I think that's only fair, um, and I think the offensive line is still not exactly a finished product. I 
I, I, you know, Broderick Jones, they drafted. Is Broderick Jones even going to start week one? Not week one, but I think he will start at some point this season. But that's kind of scary because it's not like they have a good left tackle. Dan Moore has not been good the past few years at left tackle. I, I think Isaac Sayamalo is obviously going to be better than what they've had at guard the past couple of years, but Chuck Sikorafor is not necessarily a great tackle. Um, they're not especially deep on the offensive line. They're running back. I, they're, 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 I think the interior of their offensive line is very deep. Very deep, you say. Does it Kendrick Green? They, they go too deep on the interior in a way the other teams are scrapping for players. The Bears just traded for Dan Feeney because they needed interior offensive line depth. Uh, Kevin Dotson has been a starting caliber player in the league for a while. And Nick, Nate Herbert um, can, can they, play they, as well. They just traded Kevin Dotson today. There you go. That, that there, That's all you need to know. I figured he would be a trade candidate where they trade him. Uh, that I don't know. I, I, I the, Ram, the, Ram, the Rams. That's I. I anticipated that Kevin Dotson would be a guy that would, might be worth trading based on looking at the depth chart. So that's not surprising at all. I think it's a good move by the Rams. Okay. Um, and they're also committed to giving a running back 300 touches who's not any good. He's also part of the problem. That's that's me. another <laughs> that's another question. How many of those touches end up going to Najee Harris, and when do they realize that the better back is the small one behind him? I'm hoping for for best ball fantasy football purposes very early in the season. <laughs> not not surprised you got a decent amount of those shares. Not not especially sure that's actually going to happen, but we will see. But yeah, I, I just you know I, I think the Steelers, of course, the receivers are very exciting. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett obviously made some strides last year. Um, the pass rush if TJ Watt is there is great, no question about that. But I just think it's a. I don't think they're quite as close as people are giving them credit for right now. I think that's fair. I'm I'm choosing to see them through an optimistic lens, just because sure. when I went back and watched Pickett, I, I watched the three or four games before I went to Steelers camp, and uh, I talked to him when I was there, and I was just impressed by what I saw. I'll be honest with you. I did not deeply watch a lot of Steelers football in the second half of last season. So you go back and kind of look under the hood a little bit, and I just had more fun watching him than I anticipated. I think he just got more to his game than I thought, than we might have thought coming out. I, I never understood him being described as this kind of, meticulous refined pocket passer his game is far more chaotic than that but i think some of the traits like the arm strength and the accuracy those are pretty good and if he can learn to just be a little bit more settled in the pocket and play a little bit more on time i think that the other aspects to his game are actually a little bit more encouraging than i anticipated them being in terms of like his physical skill set and i think he's very aware of that you know we talked about as you know, the offseason, what did you work on the most? And he just said it was all timing and footwork in the pocket tied to our concepts and, and just playing within that. And that answer was like, that's exactly what I would anticipate based on the season that you had last year. So if they can just be a little bit more consistent with playing on time within the offense and find more explosive plays within the offense, kind of take the training wheels off a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think the upside level of talent on that unit is actually pretty good. This is the real life version of the Shaq. I owe you an apology. I really wasn't familiar with your game meme for Kenny Pickett. Um, yes. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, that's a big ask, though. Like, you have a guy who held the ball longer in college football than anybody his There's final no season, and then held the ball, I believe, at the fourth highest rate in football last season. It was the season. fourth highest rate in the league. league. And one of the stats that I threw out in our AST North preview that I loved. On throws of less than two and a half seconds, I think that yeah. he was like fifth or sixth in the NFL in EPA per dropback. And on yeah. throws of more than two and a half seconds, he was like fourth from the bottom. Mm. So yeah, it that was the biggest difference was when they played on time and he got rid of the ball quickly. He looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And when things deteriorated, he looked like one of the worst. Yeah. And you know what? 
like, frankly, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They kind of deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to developing young That's talent. That's kind of where I'm at, man. Like, I, I, it's kind of where I'm at after the last three or four years. Like, like we'll see. I'm skeptical, but like, if I'm wrong, hardly going to be shocked that the Steelers managed to pick a guy and make him better over the course of his first two seasons in the NFL. It's fascinating too. I talked to a couple of GMs about this over the last month when I was on the road. This model that the Steelers have adopted for using a rookie quarterback is a little bit different than other teams where they've pre-spent. It's not like they're using all this money in free agency. They have a little more wiggle room than they would have in previous years, but they have all these pretty robust veteran contracts, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward. And so they're using the rookie quarterback deal to afford all of these star level players and have that be the model. And we'll see if it works, but it's kind of unlike other rookie quarterback potential success stories than we've seen in this era of the NFL. Do you know the last cornerback to start most of this season for the Steelers as a rookie? Did Cam Sutton play a lot as a rookie? He did not. He did not. Looking for guys who started at least 10 games as a rookie at cornerback, you're going back to 1987. Oh my gosh, Delton no, Hall. I don't know. Uh, even even go to safety. Troy Polamalu didn't start as a rookie for the Steelers. Like this is a team where I know there's excitement about Joey Porter Jr. I don't think they drafted him thinking he would be a year one starter. And if he is, maybe he'll be great. But history tells us to to take it slow with Steelers before they get to year two. Well, so I do think they drafted him thinking he'd be a year one starter. I think they came into the offseason not planning to put a rookie out there at corner as a year one starter. They signed Patrick Peterson with the idea that he would start for them. But when Joey Porter fell in the draft to the pick, wonderfully, the the Chase Claypool trade, they, they jumped on that. They did not think he would fall that far. So I don't think that was the initial plan heading into the offseason. I think it was supposed to be Patrick Peterson, but things shifted when the draft unfolded. We will see. Uh, give me another one. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to sneak in one. Uh, AFC East related because you talked about, we talked about Mac Jones a little bit. Here is the question I want to ask. Who lines up at left tackle and right tackle for each of the teams in the AFC East and how good, often are one. they there? That's a good one. I, I One of mine was the Jets have a league average offensive line. So I think this is in the same vein. Yes, absolutely. But it's also it also applies to the Dolphins too. It, it certainly does. It's a, it's a great question. I I mean, the, if the Jets have so the Jets having a league average offensive line, mine was a all right. So what are they with that? And I think the Dolphins are probably a similar conversation, even though there's more uncertainty about other elements of the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Are you applying this to the Bills as well? I I don't think they're as desperate for good offensive. We line. know like, who those guys are. I think it's just a question of how good the right tackle is. Yeah, and like Dan Dawkins didn't have a great year last year. Like he was fine, but he wasn't exactly like the. This wasn't his best season. He's fine, absolutely. But if Dolphins don't have Toronto Armstead for seventeen games, they are not fine. So, do you think that the Dolphins experience the biggest fluctuation based on the answer to this question? Yes, because I think they have the most upside. Like Toronto Armstead, when he's healthy, is a top eight. Left tackle, is that fair to say? I think it's probably higher than that, honestly. Probably higher, top five and, and left tackle? And beyond that, I uh, had a coach who was telling me when they were watching the Dolphins' offense, just even if his reputation maybe takes a day and he's not healthy all the time, what they ask him to do mm-hmm. as part of that offense 
there's a lot of kind of well, you're handling this all yourself designs mm -hmm. similar to what the Niners could do with Trent Williams, even though he's not on the same level. So I think that losing him is even more impactful than whatever the downgrade from Teron Armstead to your backup left tackle looks like. I mean, when he went out in that Texans game last year, the Dolphins were just stomping the Texans and he gets hurt and Tua gets sacked like five times on three drives. Like it went from Tua is is basically playing seven on seven to Tua is running for his life. And they took him out of the game because he was getting hit so much. And he came back, he wasn't hundred um, percent. That is a obvious point of weakness for this Dolphins roster. But the thing is, I said, if Tron Armstead is healthy, they have a top out of tackle. That's a big drop off. I'm not sure the Jets offensive line is good, even if Dwayne Brown and Mekhi Becton are healthy for the entire season. That's my concern. You're probably right. I think, but if can they be league average? If the Jets have the 15th best offensive line in the league, how good do you think the Jets could be? Mm, 11, 12 wins. Yeah, I think that they're really good in the in the right scenario. And this is uh, things coming together. I've I've fully talked myself into the Aaron Rodgers Garrett Wilson thing. Yeah. I just think that his skill set is so complimentary to the way that Rodgers wants to play with his number one receiver. The, you saw that, that fade against like the Giants' uh, sixth or seventh. You know, best what, you know what it honestly was? I, I've I've honestly already been thinking about it just because mm -hmm. I was rewatching Garrett Wilson before we did our AFC East preview and. His release game at the line of scrimmage is, is really good for a young player. He's just very violent and explosive in that area of the field. I think that his the details of his route running down the field maybe aren't as refined or nuanced, but he's a young sure. player. But if the ability to create instant separation at the line of scrimmage is so paramount to the way that Rodgers wants to have a relationship with his number one receiver. And I was thinking that already. And then Ben Fennel, who works for CBS, he posted a, a clip and a series of clips of just kind of the one-on-one -on -one matchup dictation that Rodgers and Devontae Adams were using in his last season, where whether it's smokes, RPOs, fades, all of those instantaneous decisions when you know you have the one-on-one, -on -one, it is so easy to imagine Garrett Wilson filling that role specifically with Aaron Rodgers. So I'm very excited about that. So if you have that, combination plus enough at the other skill position spots an average offensive line and what i anticipate being a very good defense then i think that team has a chance to be really good of course it does there's no question you could piece all those things together and have them be difference makers there's also the scenario where Dwayne brown is 38 years old and coming off of surgery and not very good when he was not especially great playing through an injury last year. Mekhi Becton's still not 100%. He's still not practicing daily. Um, moving to the right side after playing left tackle for his brief NFL career, has played one game in two years and gets hurt or isn't very good. Um, uh, Joe Tippmann doesn't look like he's ready to step in at center. It feels like he, you know, he was playing with the threes for part of training camp. Nathaniel Hackett, not exactly someone who gets the most out of the offensive talent he's been given typically as a play caller. And Garrett Wilson, as good as Garrett Wilson is, and Garrett Wilson is a great player, the one thing he really struggled with last year was drops. And if Aaron Rodgers gets upset about anything, it is when his receivers, especially his young receivers, drop the football. So is that I think being in where... the wrong place also would be. It, it, it's a 1-2. Also, it's a 1-A, 1-B. So you end up with an offense where the line is compromised. Brees Hall is 100%. Dalvin Cook is not as good as people think Dalvin Cook is, given his numbers from last year. And it's it's Rodgers throwing to Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, where he was 23 points of QBR worse with either of those guys on the field last year in Green Bay. 
I could see the offense taking a major step backwards, but there's just a lot of variance. Like there's like there's no I'm not saying that is the most likely outcome. I'm just saying I think that's in the range of outcomes for this offense. And there's an, a scenario, like you said, where the things come together and this is an awesome football team. I just think there's a this is probably the down probably, I don't know. Do you think this is the highest variance team in football? Probably. Probably I, I I feel like I feel like anything from seven or six to fourteen wins is possible for this football team. Yeah, I think that's fair because the state of the offensive line and also just the defense. The, the defense is interesting because there are so many competing factors for how good they'll be. They were the healthiest defense in the league last season, so obviously yep. that's not going to happen again. But they just didn't create many turnovers last. They season. didn't. They were in the bottom third of the NFL. So if those two things both regress to the mean, then I think they still have a chance to be one of the best five defenses in the league, which mm-hmm. typically is not the case for a team that was the healthiest unit in football a year ago. Right. But the question is, who gets hurt? If it's Sauce Gardner, yeah, that's a problem. If you yeah. know losing Chuck Clark for the year, no disrespect to Chuck Clark, they can survive losing Chuck Clark. If they lose, yeah, they got two guys back there. They already they even have another safety back there. They, they signed Adrian Amos. He couldn't even beat out Tony Adams for that starting spot, which is a good thing, I think, for the Jets. Right. If they lose Solomon Thomas for the year, they'll be okay. If they lose Carl Lawson or Quinn and Williams, it's tougher. Yeah. Actually, no. Quinn and Williams, yes. Carl Lawson, they could survive. No, they got a, they got edge rushers coming out of their ears. It's well, ridiculous. Uh, let's move on. Give me. Let's do two more from you, and we'll finish up. Uh, you, t- you talked about the Dolphins already. One of mine was we we get full seasons from the versions of Tua and Brock Purdy that we saw for a stretch last year. Sure. So like the first half of the season, Tua, and then back half of the season, Brock Purdy, that's just reality. And I think yeah. that those could have huge impacts on the year. We already talked about Geno a little bit. I had 2020 Geno is the real Geno or 2022 mm-hmm. Geno. Like last year is just going to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, how about do you this want, one? Do you, okay, go ahead. I got, I got two more that we haven't really touched on at all. One was which new defensive coordinator just transforms his unit right away. Like th- this goes from being a bottom half of the league defense to a top 10 defense immediately. And, and this isn't, I guess some of that's not necessarily true, but the guys I was throwing out there, like what if the dolphins under Fangio are just the, uh, the eighth best defense in football, right? What if the Browns under Jim Schwartz are the eighth best defense in football? What if the mm-hmm. Eagles stay a top eight defense with Sean Desai? So these new defensive coordinators, which one either keeps or propels his defense into the upper echelon of the league immediately? And what impact does that have on the rest of the NFL? So do you want me to read the defensive coordinators for you? Do you want to pick one who you think propels their defense into the top eight? I, I think my the best guess that I have is Fangio. Mm, yeah, I mean, certainly personnel wise, even with Jalen Ramsey hurt, it's hard to argue. I just think the front is really good. Of course. I, I think Jalen Phillips is going to take a big step this year. I like the guys they have on the interior. You know, David Long is a great fit if he can stay relatively healthy, which is obviously a big <laughs> That's question. That's a big ask. But they, I think they have a lot of good players. And I, I honestly, man, I'm excited to watch the Browns defense. Yeah, I, I me am. Too. I am excited to watch the Browns defense. You have this combination of adding Jim Schwartz, and it all makes sense that the Jim Schwartz move in that it was a way to capture the type of defense they wanted to play last year schematically while just adding kind of a butt kicking mentality and thank you you add new players right so you you have this complete overhaul of the front four talent where Obo Kwankwo goes from being maybe your starting 
other edge rusher to now being a depth piece because you got to Darius Smith. They bring in Dalvin Tomlinson. They already have Miles Garrett. And then you have this defensive coordinator who I think is much better positioned to get the most out of that group combined with all the talent that they have on that back seven than the staff that they had last year. So I, I just think that they could be really, really good right away. And then if the offense, if the quarterback is a top half of the league quarterback, I, I think that they could be really good. I, I think that they could be a contender in the AFC with that construction. I agree. Uh, 22 defensive coordinators of the 32 have been hired in 2022 or 2023. There are three defensive coordinators, three in the NFL who were hired before the 2020 season. Like the turnover at defensive coordinator in the NFL has been incredible. It's shocking. Gosh, that that's, that's staggering. So the the ones that were hired before 2020. Yeah. Luana Rumo. That's one. Right, yeah. One one of them is cheating. One one of them is. I'll, I'll give you one. One's Belichick. Oh, that does. That's not fair. That's well, that's two. Then that, that it's only two. If it's not, if it's not Belichick, there's one more. Can you can you? I I would, I would not have guessed him. Is it Shane Bowen? It's not Shane Bowen. He was 2021. It's Steve Spagnolo. Steve Spagnolo. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. Those are the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, those three guys, and then the rest of the AFC is 2021 and more recent. That's crazy. It's crazy. So can I give you mine? Yes. I'm going to go Ishiro Evero in Carolina. Oh, yeah. That's a really good one, too. I should have mentioned him. Yeah. I, I, I think the Panthers are closer on defense than people give them credit for. Um, obviously, you're going to need a healthy Brian Burns. You're going to need... Um, JC Horn to stay healthy, but they have pieces in the secondary. Um, I think Horn is a is a super underrated guy. I, I honestly believe they win the NFC South last year. If they win that Bucks game, if they have JC Horn healthy, um, he has to stay healthy. That's that's obviously a big thing for them. Um, you would like to see Derek Brown take a step forward, but I think Frankie Luvu was really underrated last year. Shaq Thompson, you know, it's still Shaq Thompson. He's still a rangy linebacker. Um, getting Von Bell helped at line at, at safety. Um, and, you know, I, I just ever got a lot out of the Broncos last year. They were a much better defense than I think people realize or remember because it was so dominated by the Russell Wilson talk. But they were really good for a chunk of that year. And there were guys in that defense who played their best football last year with Evero in charge. Like Draymond Jones had his best season. Um, Baron Browning came out of nowhere and was really effective for a few weeks um, before he got hurt. Um, you know, like, I felt the, like... I thought the linebackers played well in that system yeah. early on. When they, too. I, I, I totally agree with you. I also think that the Panthers personnel aligns well with the style of defense that he wants to play. Mm-hmm. It, it's you don't need to use much imagination to picture how you would deploy the Panthers players in a similar way to the way that you deployed those guys last year. And so like Frankie Louvu is a perfect example. Frankie Louvu is somebody that can play on the edge. He can drop. So those kind of five down looks where you get a lot of those simulated pressures that Evero likes to run. It's just an easy group to do that because the Panthers ran a lot of simulated pressures. I was talking to a coach about this next step of the Fangio defensive system and how you need the right coordinator to deploy it. It's not just about taking the system from one of those disciples, copy and paste and hoping for the results. You need the guy who's going to be able to throw the right counter punches and curveballs as part of the play calling. And Ajiro Ever was the first name that was mentioned. He's like, this is a guy who theoretically comes from that same background. He, he coached for Fangio, coached under Brand Staley, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the twists 
and the next steps and evolution that he's kind of tacked on to it, that's where things are going. And so I think he's kind of the perfect modern defensive coordinator in the sense that the we don't give up explosive structure is at the core mm-hmm. of what he wants to do, but there's no passivity to it. He is he's coming. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They are bringing the heat consistently, but not in a way that's going to allow them to get torched on the back end. And they have the pieces to pull that off. They can win Russian four, even if it's not the four you expect. Yes, correct. And JC Horn steps in as the Patrick Sertan, you know, kind mm-hmm. of copy. I mean, if you want to use him in the same way. So that's a really good one. I am bullish on what they can be defensively, even if I'm a little bit more worried about the offense than I was at the start of the preseason. Oh, I'm definitely worried about the offense, but that's that's we weren't talking about the offense. We were talking about the defense. Um, I'm gonna give you one and then we'll finish up with one of yours. Uh what is the best record? Sorry, what's the best record? What is the record for the best team in the NFC who isn't the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Niners, or the Seahawks? I feel like we have basically reduced the NFC as a society to those four teams. We've written off the NFC North. We've written off the NFC South. We've written off the teams who are not those four teams. So who is the best team in the NFC who is not one of those four teams? And are they nine and eight? Or are they twelve and five, and they've taken a big leap that we're not expecting? It's a great question. I would assume closer to. I think. I think there's a ten win team in the NFC that's not one of those teams. I think there almost has to be just in the NFC South, of course, and the NFC North. Um, I think the answer is probably ten or eleven wins, and I think the best four candidates. Our candidates, come on! Give me, the Lions give me can absolutely win give me two games. candidates. Give me two candidates. Narrow it down a bit. Lions and Falcons. Falcons! Yeah. Wow! Neither of the teams I was thinking were the Falcons. Sell me, sell me the and Falcons. The, Sa- the Saints are an easy answer, right? The Saints and the Lions are easy answers. I think those are both the favorites in their division. Mm-hmm. I'm very high on the Falcons. I'm just, I really am. I think that the plan they burned they me last year. Offense. So, what do you mean? I I had them as like the most likely team in the league to regress, and they oh. they stuck it out at seven and ten. <laughs> they, it's funny they had the exact same record, and they were markedly better football. Teams. They were so much better. <laughs> it was like like the year before, I had them as a team likely to improve, and every week was just like torture watching them. Like, how are they possibly going to pull this game out? And then last year was rooting against them, and every week they were like, how are they not like an eleven win football team? What that's I think that's the bullish case, right? Sure. Is that they were so much better in some of these areas, and I think that their talent is markedly improved than it, than it was from last year. So you have the defense; they were I think either thirtieth or thirty first, bottom three in the league in uh, spending on defense last year. Last year was still one of the early stages of this complete reformation that had to happen to. with their cap. I mean, they mm-hmm. tore it all down. They were bottom of the league in cash spending. This is year three. And this is them kind of putting their foot on the gas. And you look at the defensive personnel that they have from last year to this year, it's so different and so much better. And I think that's a product of the guys they signed, but also just general development from some of the players that they drafted. I anticipate Troy Anderson taking a really big step this year as he was a third round pick last year, really, really gifted athletically. Caden Ellis is there now. The defensive line additions that they've made. They went out and got Jesse Bates. Even if it's an overpay, you're just paying for certainty on the back mm-hmm. end. I think their defense has a chance to be above average, like decidedly above average with Ryan Nielsen, mm-hmm. their defensive coordinator. And if that's the case, I, I'm, I just have so much faith 
in the offensive coaching staff. There are a couple different staffs around the league that just, I believe they're going to get the most out of the players that they have. Mm -hmm. And the Falcons are one of those staffs. Mm -hmm. And now I believe in the players, even if the quarterback is somebody that you're just asking to make the right decision consistently with the offensive line that they have. And with the skill position talent that they have, I think that type of quarterback is enough to make them really scary. And that's what they need from Desmond Ritter this year. They were a top 10 offense last year. Mm-hmm. But they, the quarterback might be worse this year than he was last year. Like I know, I, I definitely do not think that's going to be the case. Uh, I mean, Marcus Mariota was bad. There, There is no question. But I definitely do not think that is going to be the case. You don't, Even, you don't think there's any chance Desmond Ritter could be worse than Marcus Mariota? He averaged six yards in a tenth last year, Maze. No, I do not think there's any way. I, I truly I, don't. I, I, I'm not saying it's likely, not saying it's even, you know, I, I, I think it is certainly plausible, especially when you consider that Marcus Mariota added more in the running game than Desmond Ritter will add. Marcus Mariota is a flawed quarterback. He had several bad games, but Desmond Ritter was like, they, they need, they need him to be something different than the guy he was last year. You, you cannot average 6.2 yards per time in this offense and have the offense thrive, like over the course of a full season. Like Mariota was averaging seven and a half yards per attempt. You have to be able to hit your play action shots to get this offense to be playing at a high level. Marcus Mariota wasn't hitting his play action shots. He hit them enough. He was averaging seven and a half yards per attempt. You know, I absolutely think that the offense will be better at quarterback this year than it was last year, solely by virtue of the decision-making that will happen. I think that Desmond Ritter will be a better decision-maker than Marcus Mariota was, and that will be enough to get the most out of the skill position group. They do not need him to be a star. They just need him to throw the ball where they tell him to throw it. Marcus Mariota was 19th in the NFL in yards per attempt on play action last year, ahead of uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, Joe Burrow, so just Daniel the, Jones, play, the Wilson, Dak Prescott. Play was a disaster last year. Well, I mean, but, you know. Go, go, um, his off tar- he led the league in, in off-target passing right? last year, according to True Media. Marcus Mario did. He was dead last. So so everyone in the NFL was, Tannehill, of course, is 12 and 12.3 yards per attempt because he's a freak on play action. Everyone else, 9.4 to 6.6. Last place, Kenny Pickett, five, even five yards per attempt. On, on the action. 10 play action attempts that they had? <laughs> they had. They had more than 10, but yes, they had. They did not have many. Um, but like Bottom three in the league. Well, you know, I mean, when you have Najee Harris working, you gotta you gotta take advantage of of linebackers flowing to stop Najee. I, I have to assume they'll use more play action this year. They, I mean, this is a team that was, I believe, dead last in the league in explosive play rate last season, and they know it. I mean, that that was one of the priorities this year is we need to make sure that we're creating explosive plays, and that the offense was so basic last year, and they can get some more yak opportunities, more crossers, just a more dynamic passing game. That's another reason I have faith in Kenny Pickett is just the offense was so, so basic last season. And I just don't think it'll be that basic again, even if I'm not the world's biggest Matt Canada fan. Mm-hmm. I don't think who <laughs> I, I have not met anybody who is a big Matt Canada fan. I think, I think Mina I assume was his wife likes like, him. I, I think Mina was ready to burn a Canadian flag on NFL live a couple of days ago um, when we were talking <laughs> about the Steelers offense. <laughs> Yeah, it, um, the passing game is tough to watch, man. It was tough to watch last year. It is. It is. And hopefully it's better. But he's still there is my is one of my hesitations about the Steelers. Um, to answer my own question, I'm saying Saints and Packers. That's are, fair. Are I think those are two, two reasonable choices. Where if Jordan Love is the the 13th best quarterback in football, 
I think they win 12 games. I think the Vikings also have a chance to be a double-digit win team. Yeah. I mean, guess, but also just picturing universe where they just keep winning close games and I'm just, my, my brain is melting. They're another one of those teams. I think the Vikings could be a decidedly better team according to every single metric and win no three fewer games this year. Absolutely, no question. And that might be the most likely outcome, frankly. Yeah, I don't know if 10 wins is the most likely outcome. I think there's still enough questions about the defensive personnel. Uh, that, But I, I think that their plan offensively, which we dug into in pretty deep today on the Athletic Football Show, their plan offensively in this offseason and what they wanted their identity to be and the additions that they made tracks very well to me. It has to happen now. But going to this heavier personnel world where they signed Josh Oliver, they re-upped with CJ Ham, and they decided we're going to throw this 11 personnel world in the garbage because it just isn't working the way that we want it to. We're going to get heavier, try to beat teams off if they play nickel against us, and hopefully they don't, and we have the best receiver in the league. On paper, I think it is a very good approach. We'll see if it comes together, but I'm I'm bullish on it. I really am. Mm-hmm. Okay, give me one more. We'll finish up with one more from you. This is my favorite question about the entire league. I I want to know if the Todd Monken offense just immediately clicks in Baltimore. Like, is that mm-hmm. team just it's a, good one. A, a good offense from the start? Because the transformation that they could potentially undergo and what it theoretically does to Lamar Jackson's ceiling, I don't know if the Panther or if the Ravens' ceiling on defense is that high just because of the questions in the secondary, questions about the pass rushers. I have a lot of faith in Mike McDonald for that to be a good defense, like a top half of the league, borderline top 10 defense. So if they can pair that with an explosive reformed offense under Mockin, then the Ravens are a contender, like pure, like plain and simple, like period end of sense. What do you, what, what do you think is the most likely outcome for the Ravens offense? Exciting yet uneven. In, inconsistent. It feels like. Yeah, that's that, that, but, that would be the good. good word for it. Yeah. I, like, I, I just think that it's hard. Very rarely do we see this stuff click immediately with new offensive coordinators. There are exceptions to that. I think the 2017 Rams are the best example of that, where you have a new coach, new system, and it happens immediately. I think that what McVeigh did there and the simplicity of it was a huge reason for that. And the plan in general of them walking to the line of scrimmage and Sean essentially calling the plays in the moment and the way that they use tempo, it was just a very good plan to immediately get the most out of your offense. Mm-hmm. Even really good offensive coordinators, the best offensive coordinators that we've seen in the NFL, it doesn't always happen right away. Think about the 2015 Falcons and what that type of offense that was. They were middle of the road. And then the next year, they absolutely exploded. So this could be kind of an intermediate season for the Ravens on the way to something better next year. But I do think that we're going to potentially see flashes of it at some point over the course of this season. And also, by the way, this isn't like rebuilding the Broncos. Like they were 11th in the NFL in EPA per play last year before Lamar got hurt. Like they were a, a good, not great, but they were they were identical in EPA per play through week 12 to the 49ers. And obviously what happened over the next few weeks ended up they ended up going different directions. But like this was an offense that was legitimately good last year. And so it's such a huge change though, Barnwell. That that it, that's my concern. It it's just that the, it is. the fact that the the structure of it is gonna be so different. They used eleven personnel on eleven percent of their snaps last season. It's insane. Sure. 
it, it was just, it was just not an NFL offense in the ways that we typically understand one. And with the moves that they made this offseason and what they've done in the preseason, it seems like they're going to be like an eleven personnel team. Mm-hmm. It's the wildest offensive identity shift that I th- I think I can picture them going from what they were to them going to pure like mostly an eleven personnel team. If they're playing with three receivers on two thirds of their plays. I don't think you can overstate how different that is to the type of football that they've been playing over the last few seasons. Maybe Patriots, the the 2006, 2007 Patriots in terms of like shift in terms of your personnel. Yeah. And I I think that's a good comparison. That one did work immediately, right? That's another good one. But from what I recall, it worked out okay for the Patriots. Yeah, that that one did work out okay. That That one did work out pretty well. I, I don't think Randy Moss is walking through that door for the Ravens, though, despite how excited I am about Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers is nice. I'm I'm excited to see Zay Flowers. Do you think he's the number one receiver in this offense? Yeah, those are the bets that I've been making uh, in the fantasy football world of things. I When I watched him in college and I watched him before the draft, I really liked him. A lot of BC. I, I was just watching receivers before we talked about receivers. On okay. The, okay. I just, uh, I want to make sure you're not show. like, no. you're not like sitting down on Saturday and being like, you know what I got to see is Boston college football. Barnwell, if I were watching Boston college football in earnest on Saturday, I would not be married. That's my like, concern. I can, I, can tell you, I can tell you that right now. So no, that's it was right. just, I, I went back about. and watched, I think three or four Zay Flowers games. Okay. Before that's we totally fine. Receiver show on, on the podcast. And I came away from being like, I, I think this guy's really good. And that was my feeling just watching with the ball in his hands and the way that he moved. I know it's not the best competition in the ACC, but I was very impressed with him. And when I was going around talking to different people this summer, multiple GMs, coaches, when we were talking about players, they're like, yeah, we really like the BC guy in the draft. And it was very comforting that when I watched that guy, I was I just thought that he had I thought he moved just in a different way. I thought he was strong for his size. And the fact that some people who I respect around the league were like, yeah, we definitely were considering him maybe higher than he ended up going made me feel a lot better about my personal evaluation of Zay Flowers. Mm -hmm. You know who else was really well-regarded before that draft? Rashad Bateman, who might be really good. We haven't really seen him in an NFL offense or haven't seen him regularly healthy. Like They might have two really good receivers and they might have... Mark Andrews and Odell Beckham, like this could be, this could be a much scarier receiving core than I think a lot of people expect. The even beyond the top end guys, this is the I've said this multiple times this summer. Going from what they had last year, where Demarcus Robinson was their number one receiver, to a world <laughs> where Nelson Aguilar is their number four receiver, is a pretty substantive change. I like for immaculate grid purposes alone. I don't think I will ever forget Deshaun Jackson coming off of the street and becoming like a 25 snap a game player for them there's it's always funny when you go back and the division previews that we do are obnoxious and way too long but when you go back and really dig into all of these teams just the things that you forget and when we did the bills preview realizing that cole beasley got 25 snaps for them mm-hmm. in a playoff game last mm-hmm. season and then you think about Oh, yeah, I get the Dalton Kincaid thing now. I I can understand why you think you needed a guy like that based on what you were at the end of last season. It all starts to come together a little bit better. That's fair. Um, Let's finish up here, Mays. There's still a few more days of NFL previewing to go. If people want to listen to you talk about the divisions and the rest of your content, where can they go do that? The Athletic Football Show podcast feed. Uh, It's available wherever you get your podcasts. We have daily content. Yesterday, we debuted our new show with Chase Daniel. 
uh, called In the Pocket, which we're going to do every single week during the NFL season. That will be coming your way on Thursdays. Uh, just talking about all things quarterback every single week, uh, performances of the week, you know, guys that we think have had interesting quarters of the season, just a show dedicated to quarterbacks, which is going to be really fun. And then we're doing our division previous NFC North came out today. NFC East is our last one that will be running on Friday. And then we have daily content Monday through Saturday, all the way through the season. So if you want a daily fix of football, we are there for you. Does that mean Chase Daniel is done? I don't know. You don't know because you'll, you'll have to ask him because I mentioned Josh Norris. He got Colt McCoy cut for doing a, a show with him from the Cardinals. Do you feel <laughs> Chase like Daniel was not on a team? So I, I have to anticipate that Chase Daniel was ready to step into the media and we are not preventing him from getting a quarterback job. I'm just I, saying, I think I feel comfortable saying that. Do you have a backup in case Chase Daniel has to go play? It, yeah, Nate Tice. <laughs> Nate Tice is not a backup. Nate Tice is a a starting caliber podcaster. Man. Uh, I, I think that we'll probably we will find a solution if Chase has to go get signed by a team. I, I don't just, think just picturing Chase you do the, you're doing the same calls the Niners did last year. Like Philip Rivers is going to be the backup for for this podcast. Listen, if Philip Rivers wants to come have a show on the Athletic Football Show, he is welcome anytime. You're gonna you're gonna be gonna bench Chase Daniel for Philip Rivers if that becomes a possibility. Oh, we'll do we'll do both, baby. Right. Do both. Have you have you seen the way I've programmed this thing over the last three years? You think I can't add another podcast? I don't. I, that's the problem. I have seen how you programmed it. So yes, I don't think you can add another podcast. I think you will literally uh, not have the voice to continue podcasting if that happens. Listen, Sunday's open, baby. We got nothing running on Sunday, so we got an oh, open boy. slot. Oh boy. Okay. Well, we will see. Uh, Philip Rivers, the the opportunities out there. If you're listening. Um, but we will see what happens, Baze. Of course, thank you for coming on. Of course, buddy, anytime. All right, thanks so much, of course, to my buddy Robert Mays of The Athletic. Check out all the shows he does, including the shows, The Athletic Football Show with Nate Tice, his new show with Chase Daniel, all the audio content happening there, and of course, all the audio content happening here at ESPN. Hope you enjoyed our we are our, our three-part season preview with Mina and Dominique. Um, we really enjoyed doing it. We had a lot of fun. Hopefully that, that came through on the, on the podcast. Um, always fun to do stuff with those folks. I am doing, uh, I'm on debatable this week. One of the last debatables before it gets folded into the Dominique Foxworth show. where We talked about the Trey Lance situation and everything going on there. Also, um, I believe this is coming out on Thursday. I will believe, I believe I'm on NFL live either today or tomorrow. So talking about NFL stuff there, so you can check that out. Um, and if there's a trade that happens between now and the end of the week, probably talk about that on the written side of ESPN.com as well. So hope you guys are enjoying your last few days before the football season begins. Hope you're getting your fantasy drafts in. Hope you're enjoying the last few days of summer. But football is coming next week, real football. And we'll be talking all about it here all season on the Bill Barnwell Show. Awesome. Thanks so much. I will cool. get this book. Thanks so much, Christina. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk right, soon. Buddy. I'll see you later. Thanks. Why were you still here? I don't know. I didn't. I feel like I didn't say <laughs> goodbye and then you started doing the outro. <laughs> Weirdo. Hang up. All right, I'll see ya. Bye, guys. Bye.